You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hello, my name's Jared. And my name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. Today, we're looking at part one of a three-part series we're doing on sessions that were recorded at um, something we call learning parties, something that the New Leaf Network puts on. These were originally recorded uh, in spring of 2016. Uh, Elle, tell us, what is a learning party? A learning party is essentially all the things you love about a conference without maybe some of the extra rigmarole. So we try to keep the tickets really affordable. You score a great lunch out of the deal as well. Uh, We work really hard to keep the numbers low, actually, to actually give a really great environment for connecting with people and for conversation. And instead of hearing message after message from gurus or, or specialists or, you know, professional paid holy people, uh, we, we reach out to the people who have registered and sit and ask, you know, would you share 10 minutes of your story or something you're working on or things that you're thinking through? And essentially, we break out after those talks into party pods and we connect with one another and converse about what we've just heard. Um, I've been to a number of them and I always come away really happy that I went. I've met someone new. I've learned something new. Um, we actually have one of these coming up in Kitchener on November the 5th um, in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. And uh, it's, you know what, it's a really good time. So today's talk um, is by a professor at McMaster uh, Divinity Schools named Lee Beach, and he's talking about the generative possibilities of exile. So he's going to be reflecting on the exile of the of the children of Israel. And he uh, he's actually written a book about this. It's called The Church in Exile. Um, and in, in this talk, we hear uh, some really great stuff that I think is really important to the Canadian church because um, for many people, they see where we are at uh, as the church in Canada as being in exile. And so Lee is looking into that as a theme in scripture, and he talks to us about what that was like and what we can learn from those the what they went through in that, that particular section of the Old Testament. So here's Lee Beach talking about the generative possibilities of exile. Great. Well, it's great to be here together. Good to be together uh, today. And then thanks for having me. Thanks for the chance to, to uh, uh, just say a few words. Uh, my story that I want to tell is an ancient story. It's a story that uh, begins, sort of, or at least uh, finds its initial or its energy in 587 BCE. Uh, in 587 BCE, uh, that was when the Babylonians, who were the superpower of the day, uh, invaded Jerusalem. They had already had control over the land of Israel, but in 587 BCE, The Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and took control of the city of Jerusalem. And if you were a citizen of Jerusalem in those days, um, this would have been a devastating event for you, not simply because it was a violent event, not simply because it was a a catastrophic event for for you to uh, be invaded by these these Babylonians, but because it uh, it would have... uh, um, change your understanding of, of not only the world, but of even perhaps of God in that moment. 
Because if you were a Jew, a Hebrew at that time, um, you had three key symbols in your life, in your way of understanding the world, your way of understanding God, that were foundational to your own faith and your own understanding of how the world worked. You had the symbol of the land. Because for you, the land wasn't just about a physical place to live. It was about a promise that God had made to you as a nation. If you know the, remember the biblical story, the story is that uh, God called Abraham, promised him to make him a great nation, promised him land. And of course, uh, as the story unfolded, Israel found itself in the promised land, and it was given land. And land was the symbol that told you God loved you. It was the symbol that told you you had a special place in God's world as his people. But when Babylon came in and took control of your land and sent many of your leading citizens into exile back in Babylon, you no longer had land. second symbol that you had that told you that God loved you and that he was with you was your king. The kingship for Israel wasn't simply about politics, having a king, and we know there's a bit of the controversy, that was a whole story in and of itself, but when the kingship was established and the promise of Davidic rulership was given to Israel, what that told them was that they had a human representative, someone who was called and established by God, not just simply to give them good political leadership, of course they didn't always do that, But they were called to be a representative to them to remind them that ultimately there was a greater king than the human king. That God was their king. The the, the kingship in Israel was was a theological position as much as it was a political position. And the promise was that you would always have a king from the line of David. And he would rule over you as a representative of God's goodness. While the Babylonians come in and you no longer have a king. Your kingship is taken. The third symbol you had that reminded you that God was with you and that you had a special place in his world and in his ways was the temple. The temple was a place that Israel believed and understood was a particular place where God was present. Now, they knew that God was present everywhere in the world. They understood that theologically. But what they also understood or believed was that somehow in the temple, God's presence dwelt in a particular way. And that when they came to the temple, it reminded them that God was with them. God was in their midst. That they had a particular kind of relationship with Yahweh that no one else had but them. And in 587 BCE, the Babylonians, just to demonstrate that they were the ones who were in control now, leveled the temple. The temple was destroyed. So you no longer have land, you no longer have king, you no longer have temple. These were the things that told you that God was in your midst. These were the things that told you that you had a particular place in God's economy, a particular place in his world, that he loved you. You are his people. And now those things are stripped from you. And many of your people are shipped off to go and live in Babylon. Well, in a certain sense, and of course I know that the the, the parallels are not equal. But in a certain sense, when Jared lines ten people up across the front of the room and, and works us through in a very helpful and vivid way the realities of the changing landscape of Canadian culture, it might be appropriate for us to think for a moment about this idea that perhaps in a similar way, we too are experiencing a tremendous culture shift in our land. 
that if one time it was true, and I think it was, it's not hard to make the case, that the, Canadian, the church in Canada was at or at least near the center of Canadian culture, we know that today that's no longer the case. And in fact, it's increasingly not the case. Increasingly, the church in Canada finds itself um, being moved to the margins, maybe even experiencing a type or a kind of exile. Now, the good news or the good part of the story is that it's actually not a sad story. It's actually a helpful story for us. Because exile, despite all of what it meant to Israel, uh, was not the end of their story. It was not the end of the reality of Israel as a nation. In fact, exile was a generative experience for the people of Israel because all of a sudden they had to rethink who they really were and what it really meant for them to be the people of God in a vastly changing context. All of a sudden they had to realize how do we worship Yahweh without a temple? What does it mean for us to be God's people when we don't have political autonomy? We don't have a land anymore. What does it mean for us to be God's people when our leader is Babylonian, when we no longer have a king of our own to rule over us? They had to figure out what it meant for them to be the people of God in this entirely new context, and they did figure it out. They began to understand that they could worship God, and Yahweh was still the same God, even though they no longer had a land. They began to understand that they could do this in new ways. In fact, what began to happen after the exile in in Babylon, even as they returned to the land uh, several years later when the Persians conquered the Babylonians and many of the Israelites were able to return to their land, what they began to realize was that God was still God even if they didn't have a land. And what began to burgeon, what began to take place, particularly into the Second Temple period, was Israel began to develop what they called the synagogue. And they began to understand that we don't have to have this huge temple in order to worship God. And we can, we can be the people of God. In fact, we can spread our culture. We can enhance our culture by beginning to worship in different ways, in different places. We understand that you don't have to be in this one place. That God exists everywhere. And our synagogues can be places where we can spread our, our message. And we can come together as the people of God. They began to understand that there were ways for them to live into their identity as God's holy people in ways that, 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 weren't, that were different from what they had been previously. And so when we read the Bible, we have stories about Daniel. Daniel, who's this, this guy who lives successfully in Babylonian and Persian context. We have Esther, who saves her people from destruction, living embedded in the life of the kingdom of Persia. We have Jonah who's kind of an anti-hero, but reminds Israel that they have been called to be the missional people of God, even to the hated Assyrians, who were also part of their exile for the northern kingdom in an earlier period. They also learn that despite the fact that they've been stripped from their land, been stripped of the power, they're still called to be God's missional people. And Isaiah audaciously reminds the people of Israel, that they're called to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations, despite the fact that in their mindset, the fact that the Babylonians had conquered them in the ancient mindset was not just, again, a political idea. It was a deeply theological thing because hadn't Marduk conquered Yahweh? Wasn't that what it was all about? Their God had proven to be better than our God? And Isaiah says, no, not at all. You're called to be a light to the nations, to proclaim the truth 
of Yahweh, despite whatever might be true on the surface. Underneath, there's another story. There's a story that's continuing, and it's the story of Yahweh and his message of hope and good news to all the world. And you're my people, still called to convey those things. As we come into our particular context in Canada these days, um, we as God's people are called to figure out what it means for us to be the church in a changing, vastly changing, quickly changing, rapidly changing context. It's a context that sometimes maybe makes us wonder, where is God in this? What's God doing in the midst of a time of decay and decline for most of the church? But here, we're called to figure out what can we do How is God innovating new things? What is God calling us to imagine? What is God calling us to lead in a time of marginalization, in a time of change, in a time of of, of cultural uh, dissonance? Uh, As leaders within the church, we're called to be people who think of new ways to be God's people and be innovative in this new context, just as Israel did. For Israel, exile was not the end of the story. It was a time of generative change in the story, a time where they figured out what it meant to embody the good news of Yahweh in their new context, just as we're called to embody the good news of Jesus Christ in our changing context. Let us be as innovative and as creative and as responsive uh, to God's call to new ventures as those who are part of our ancestry were in the midst of their exile. Uh, That's why it's good to be together today to think about those things. Thanks. That was Professor Lee Beach from McMaster Divinity talking about the generative possibilities of exile. I think that has a lot to say to the Canadian church um, Elle, what did you get out of what he had to say? You know what? I, I mean, I loved it. What a great speaker. I'm sure he's a fabulous professor uh, to have while you're in school. I uh, loved what he was talking about, about land, king, and temple, and that idea that we too are experiencing a really big culture shift here in Canada. Um, that we were at, you know, at one time we were at the near center of culture, and now that's, that's really changing for us. Um, and of course, I love that idea that um, despite all of that exile and everything that happened, that it wasn't the end of their story. The idea that it was generative really gives me some positive hope. And I just love how he tied it all together. He did it, he did it very well. So it was a great, uh, I remember everyone at the learning party really enjoying it. So I'm really glad that we were able to share it with our, our newly friends um, for them to enjoy it as well. Uh, what were some of your takeaways, Jared? Well, for me, uh, I can't help but think of, of the book that he, he recently wrote called Church in the Exile. And um, he gives some really powerful examples of, of, of the Canada that was mm-hmm. in the 1960s, where, uh, you know, at, the, at the, the celebration where we unveiled the Canadian flag and we did all kinds of um, amazing things. The church was front and center uh, in, in the Canadian consciousness. People uh, saw that. As, as important. And then he, he contrasts that with um, what it was like the, the week following September 11th when Canada was in mourning. The church was conspicuously absent mm-hmm. from that religious conversation. And the, the challenge, I think, for Christians in Canada is that we're tempted to mourn 
our central place. Right. We're tempted to complain about it and say, we got to get back and we got to get prayer back in schools. I, although I think that's more of an American uh, thing, but I do hear uh, certain Canadian more on the fundamentalist conservative side of things, you know, bemoaning all these facts that we used to have this central place. The good old and days. What I love, yeah, the good old days that I'm not sure were that good um, or really actually existed. But, uh, for me, what's interesting, though, is is the church has a choice in this next period of how we decide we're going to react. Mm-hmm. We can long for a past that in part is rose-colored glasses and nostalgia. We can complain that we've lost our central place in the Canadian context, which I think all of that is a mistake. I think we're not going to change our lot by complaining about this. Right. And so... As that old adage goes, some people, you know, when they see a challenge, they see a problem and it, it, they give up in despair. But some problems can be opportunities. Maybe there's a new way that that uh, the Spirit is inviting us into. And that's what I love about what Lee was talking about is this idea of generative possibilities. That we don't have to see um, our our movement to the fringe as being a major problem or something to even solve. Uh, and what I love about what Lee's talking about and, and these these biblical themes that he's drawing on is that this is not new for the church. This is not new for God's people to be at the edge mm-hmm. of culture. And in fact, there are possibilities that are um, that we can find at the edge that aren't available when we're at the center. Um, and and what I find very fascinating. Uh, and I think is really important for us is to to not waste our time complaining and to to look for the possibilities, to look for what the spirit um, uh, can do with us at the edge. I think there's there's lots there that that we should be talking about. What what do you think about that, Al? Is it, do you, first off, do you buy the argument that that the church is in exile? Is it, does that sound like your experience? Does that look like what you see out there? Yes. Yeah. I buy. I buy it. it. Hook, line, and sinker. Um, yeah. I mean, if you keep yourself just in the church hanging out with your, you know, your Jesus-y friends and never kind of peek out onto the horizon, then perhaps you'd feel otherwise. But I don't think it takes very long to step outside of the church context and start to see that, um, yeah, we've... We're, we're on the fringe. It feels that way. Um, and especially my generation, millennials, and um, as it just gets younger and younger, uh, yeah, we are, we are on the fringe. And I, I think I agree with you. I mean, I had a little Pentecostal moment when you were preaching there just a few seconds ago with your, uh, it was good. I liked it. Um, <laughs> but no, really, we have to look at it as possibilities. Because if not, we'll, we'll just be stuck. And I think that goes for so many areas in our lives. But when we're really looking at how the church can be effective and live in this space, I mean, this is our generation. This is what we're called to. We're here. We're now. We have to respond. I think that's the call that the Spirit is is, is calling to us to. How do we respond? And so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, we are on the fringe, but that's maybe not a bad thing. So uh, thank you for pointing that out so eloquently. Well, you know, I think I think it's a possibility because it can unleash our our missionary uh, impulses that are buried deep in our faith and in in our stories, our ancient stories. Um, you know, 
I don't meet missionaries that, you know, when they go to, um, to a host country that complain that nobody there understands the gospel or right. prayer isn't central in schools. They, that is a lived assumption right. that we've developed, that we belong at the center. And, uh, and what's amazing, and I think what the church really benefits from, is what happens when the gospel uh, begins to uh, take root in a new culture in a new way. And Canada is a new culture, and they do live in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I think we're about to see uh, in, the, in the coming decades some really interesting new ways of understanding who God is uh, and and uh, new understandings of who we are as his people, new understandings of what our mission is and and even new ways of 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 of, of hearing and and living out the, these old stories and um, and these new possibilities. So I for one am actually excited about the fringe status that Canada is bestowing on us because there are real possibilities there. And, uh, and I think there's truer possibilities there. I don't think the church necessarily does well when it's in charge of everything. I know that might be a bit of a controversial idea, but uh, you know, I think the church lost something for instance, when Constantine made us the state religion of Rome, I right. think we lost some of our capacity to speak truth to power. I think that uh, by getting in bed with nation states and with with imperial authority, um, that we are not actually at our best when that happens. I think we, we need to continue our, our status as speaking truth to power and calling it to account. But when we have taken power, it has twisted our faith almost beyond recognition, where I'm not sure I recognize Christianity very much in that uh, imperial period where we were in charge. It's very true. And that might have something to do with some of the things that Jesus talked to us about when he was hanging mm-hmm. out around on earth. You know, and I, I think everything that you're saying obviously makes sense to me. I'm in the same camp, and, and but I think in my, in my own life, I really don't change who I am and what I'm doing if I'm very comfortable. I'm not looking mm. to grow or expand or even press into God sometimes, to be honest, unless I'm experiencing, you know, a little bit of some needles underneath my seat that are, oh, causing me to kind of shift around. So it's no wonder to me that in our generation, in our time, um, we're experiencing that a little bit and it's forcing us to have some discomfort. And that discomfort is forcing us to maybe change a little bit, to ask new questions, to try different things. And without that discomfort, without maybe losing that place of center, um, maybe we wouldn't be asking some of these questions. So um, God's pretty smart. He knows how to get his people moving. And so I can't help but wonder if, not that necessarily he orchestrated all of it, but that, you know, some of this is happening and that in the end it's going to be for our benefit and ultimately for his glory. Yeah, I think it's something that we have to wrestle with anyway. And, and I agree with you, Ellen. I think that's a good correction to what I was saying earlier. It's just that this might not all have been God's idea, but nothing gets wasted right. with God. Yep. And uh, it may not be even be particularly good, but that has never stopped God in the past nope. either. Um, you know, it reminds me of, of, of the story in the book of Acts where, um, you know, 
obviously the first prophecies and the first sermons of the early church. You know, uh, uh, Peter was talking about the prophet Joel and saying, you know, this gospel is going to be poured out and it's going to be for all people and they're going to reveal deep mysteries of who God is. And then it became a exclusively Jewish thing mm -hmm. in Jerusalem only. And I know that that wasn't the vision of God. God's vision was global. It was for all people, right. for all places, all tongues, languages, cultures. But it's simpler and easier to understand when it's just inside the people you know, right. in the culture you get. Um, and so the early church, it actually was kind of stuck in Jerusalem. And, uh, and, persecution is the only thing that drove the church out of Jerusalem and into the different areas of the empire. Persecution is what gave rise to leaders like the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Uh, persecution is what gave rise to the ascendancy of the church of Antioch and not just Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. it, it distributed Christianity. And it also gave birth to the era of the martyrs, where I think we understood something about the faith in, in a profound way, that if we had stayed in Jerusalem and it had stayed at an exclusively Jewish sect in an exclusively Jewish city, that it wouldn't have, uh, well, Christianity just wouldn't be what it is today. And, and so it's not it's not sometimes that the persecution is the good thing and we should go looking for trouble. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's that God doesn't waste this, that, that God is not um, cowed or worried about the future of the church, maybe as much as I feel I am. <laughs> uh, but, and I, that's why I love what Lee's writing about. There's a positivity and an optimism mm -hmm. in what he's writing yeah. about. And he's saying, we can look at our situation in Canada and uh, we can complain about it and we can fight about it and we can write, um, you know, our MPs and our, our, our MPPs and, uh, um, and to ask them to change things. Um, but the reality is, you know, if you think about the laundry list of what we're actually asking for, none of that would change our lots anyway. If, if they put prayer back in schools and they made, you know, you know, all these laundry list things, like let's just imagine they right. got prayer back in school, you know, some conservatives would applaud and think, oh, that's amazing. Hooray. We, we finally have prayer back in school. But at the end of the day, why would I want my, my son's Muslim uh, uh, classmates praying the Lord's prayer. Uh, why, why, how would that be, how would that make Canada any more of a Christian country? Right. Um, I, I think, I think in some ways th this, this feeling that we have, it's, it is a kind of privilege mm -hmm. that we have enjoyed. Um, it's not necessarily one that is required for God's people. We don't always have to be on top. Um, uh, so anyway, there's, there's just some, uh, um, there's some great things I think that Lee gets us thinking about. I don't think I have any more answers than anybody else, but there's some, there's some good stuff 
in 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 these learning parties, and it generates conversation just like you and I have been having. Yeah. What? Tell me a little bit about some of the conversations that popped up for you around the tables once we heard Lee speak, and and we started talking. What What were some of your favorite takeaways from that day? I think some people had not everyone had really wrestled through this idea before. I think this was new, a new idea to some people at the table I was sitting at um, of looking back. I think they understood the culture here, but looking, um, being able to pull, you know, sometimes people look at the Bible and even though as, as Christ followers, we look at it and it's nourishment to us and it, it's it's um, helpful and, and we use it and it's great for us. I think some people still look at it as this old archaic thing that doesn't necessarily have a lot to speak into these current you know, cultures and, and times that we live in. So I think some of the people at my table were really interested to see how how Lee tied scripture um, and how it fit perfectly, the idea of that land and king and temple, and really how we're experiencing something very similar here, and that you're able to use that, um, and not just in this, um, you know, not just using imagery or not just using, um, uh, how do I say it, not just using you know, pulling it together for the sake of pulling it together. But no, there's actual tiebacks. Like this was exactly what the Israelites were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And you know what, friends, this is what mm -hmm. we're experiencing now. And how we can look for that generative, hopeful story. It wasn't the end and that it was actually for their benefit. I don't think any, a lot of people at my table at least had really thought through that before and how to make those ties looking back um, through scripture for that. So um, it was interesting to see people's expressions and to see people kind of like we just did, talk it through, different opinions, different things. Some people are in a deconstruction phase, so they're kind of going through that questioning period. Um, some of the people have come through it, and they're more in the hopeful side of things, um, looking at ways to try to, um, you know, really live out the generative part of that story. So it was great conversation, and that's the whole point of the learning party, that you come together and you hear these ideas and for lack of a better term, you wrestle through them. You you talk about them. You think about them. Then how that relates to your context. You connect with other people. You learn from people that maybe are completely different from you, have a completely different theological background or construct, mm -hmm. um, and you wrestle through it together. You find those commonalities and you you work through these ideas together. So uh, Lee's definitely brought up a lot of conversation. I think out of the some of the talks because. Um, it was really, really deep and rich. Well, he's a professor after all. So um, it was just a lot of great fodder for conversation. What about you? Well, I, I certainly really benefited from, from the conversation and I saw many of the same mm -hmm. things. For some people, this is a brand new thought, a brand new idea. And, and thinking through what, what could our responses be um, to the world around us. Um, and just wrestling with the, with the, do you believe that we are in a form of exile right. here? Um, I think those are powerful questions for the church to ask. What I want to encourage people to do who are listening. So if, if Lee's talk of generative possibilities of exile has been generating things in you, a couple things I'd encourage you to do. One is to buy Lee's book because he, he, this was only a 10 minute talk and we, we try to keep our presenters very short. Um, but the book walks you through and gets you thinking about characters like Esther, getting you thinking about people like Daniel mm -hmm. and, and some of the, the, the prophets and what they had to say and what they had to teach the people of God. And I, I want to encourage you to both dig into those books yourselves and read it through this lens of, of exile and ask Daniel yourself, 
what can you tell me mm-hmm. about living life in Canada? How do I, how do I think about my place? How do I find uh, 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 God in the middle of this story that I find myself caught up in? Maybe one that I wouldn't choose for myself. Maybe one that um, uh, has sort of happened to me mm-hmm. rather than uh, one that I've chosen. But, you know, uh, what can I learn? And I think I think our forebears in in the Bible have a lot to teach us. And so, and Lee does a really great job in his book of of walking us through that. It's great. Second That's thing great. I do, it's great advice. Well, it's and it's a great book. Like we, you know, one of the things that happens with Canadians a lot is we don't uh, celebrate the great thinkers and writers and people in our. And that's what I want to change with this New Leaf project. And that's why I'm so excited about today's episode. But um, you know, we can, the second thing I think we, people should do is come and join us mm-hmm. at the November 5th, uh, learning party and just get involved in the conversation. Maybe you're going to come and, and, and if you register for the event, it'll be on our events page. If you go to the newleafnetwork.ca, it'll be on our events page, sign up for that conference, sign up to join us. And maybe sign up to be a presenter. Let us know that you've got something to say, that you've got something you'd like to present on. Maybe you're going to come and you're going to disagree with everything I just said or everything Elle just said or everything Lee just said. That's fine. We love that Mm -hmm. stuff. That's how the good ideas actually get to surface. So if you're at all interested in this conversation, hanging out with people who wrestle with these kinds of questions, uh, this is for you. You, you need to come out to this. So, uh, Show up on our events page, take a look, let us know via Facebook, send us an email, info at, at newleafnetwork.ca. Let us know that you want to be there. Um, L, any thoughts around uh, why are we ha- hosting it in Kitchener? What, just to give, it, give us some thoughts around that. Well, other than the fact that Kitchener-Waterloo is a fantastic place to be, um, that's where I'm from. Um, you know what? We, we <laughs> that's where I left. Yeah, that's where you left. The, the cultural <laughs> epicenter of Kitchener Waterloo. Um, it uh, we had a couple in Toronto, so we've done one in Toronto. We've done one in the Hamilton GTA kind of area, mm-hmm. and so now we're kind of moving uh, a little more west, I guess that would be, uh, mm-hmm. and toward um, Kitchener Waterloo. And essentially, what we do with these learning parties is there's a group of people that come together and say, "Hey, we'd love to have something like this," and we kind of we kind of go where the tide takes us. So the idea essentially in in a perfect world would be to have these all across Canada, um, be, be able to bring this idea and this connection all across Canada, because you know what, it'll probably look a little different all across in different, you know, provinces, different flavors. That's the amazing thing about uh, the country that we live in. So, um, that's why we're having it in the KW area. And, uh, we've got a lot of new leafers out here that have been asking for it. So, um, we just, we go where we're asked. And that's a good point, Elle. And we have listeners in Calgary. We have listeners here in Saskatoon. We have listeners in Winnipeg and in Vancouver and, and in Montreal. And so if if you are interested in having one of these learning parties, send us an email. Let us know and we'll bring this right to your door. Um, we'll have a party bus. We'll just go right across the country in our learning party bus. Learning party party bus? Is that what we'll call it? Learning. The, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's grammatically yeah. correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah it is. Ble- and we'll get, we'll get it. I want, I want a van though. I don't want it airbrushed. Like oh, I want like, yeah. like a warrior, a muscle clad warrior riding a wolf with a sword. Oh, wow. 
something like that. The, and the ladies will love that. Bus. That's yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the women newly yeah. will love that. Okay, this is this has gone off the rails. <laughs> but yes, we would we would love to go all across Canada and have these kinds of events. So uh, yeah. thanks so much for listening. We would love to see you out at the learning party. Keep looking at our website, newleafnetwork.ca, the event section. We've got all that information there. We'll have a location to be determined uh, very soon. So check it out. We would love to have you there. And again, if you would love to see something like this happening in your town, in your area, send us an email, info at newleafnetwork.ca. Hit us up on the Facebook page. Any, anywhere, we're all over the, the interwebs. So hit us up, let us know, and we would love to connect with you. So thanks so much for listening, as always, and we will see you next time here on The New Leaf Project. Bye, friends. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and starters all across Canada.